Really excited to see you guys. You guys are awesome and amazing. You guys are the reason why I'm here. And also, I know why you're here, because you guys want to leave with more Jesus than you came with, right? Yeah. That's right. That's why you're here. And so my hope is that happens. My hope is that happens every week. And I know it does happen every week or else you wouldn't be here. And um, one thing uh, before we start the sex series, I know that some people came in knowing it's a sex series and you know, like, okay, I know what he's going to say. He's going to tell me to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I get it. I get it. I get it. Well, let's get the awkward part out of the way. Stop sleeping with your boyfriends and girlfriends. Okay. Now that's done. And we can talk about something that's going to be more encouraging, right? I'm going to talk from the, the, the topic of sex, but from a more encouraging standpoint. And my hope is that you'll leave here encouraged as well encouraged and hopeful and you will leave here courageous and confident about your sexuality and your relationships and my hope is to say the word sex as often as possible so it's so uncomfortable uh, man it's so hard to write a sermon on this topic and come up with like appropriate illustrations please help me out today guys so as often as you can use the word amen preach yell whatever say yeah like whatever you guys need to do that's right, man. Shout me down, right? Do not withhold encouragement from me or anybody else because this is a tough one. This is my first, my first, so good, Kelly, so good. This is my first time preaching on sex, guys, so um, bear with me and please come back. All right. Um, um, Hebrews 13.3 says, um, what does it say? Let me tell you what Hebrews 13.3 says. And it's, it's got me really pumped up on the word encouragement. And that's why I want to start with letting you know that this is going to be an encouraging message. And you don't have to be ashamed anymore. And, you know, you will not leave feeling like, like blah, like, oh, I'm, I'm dirty. You won't leave feeling that way, I promise. Because I believe what Hebrews 13.3 13, says applies for you just as much as it applies for anybody else. And it says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, real, on the, real quick on encouragement, I believe God wants to give you a word that will basically leave you, uh, lift you up. Because all it takes is one word <laughs> to tear you down. Right? How many of you guys know how easy it is to tear someone down just with one word? Right? And, and the same way is true. With one word, you can lift somebody up. And the people here who serve on this team, all, they're, they're committed every Sunday and every life group to build you up and to encourage you. No matter, it just because we know that the words, there's words in our heads. There's, there's messages that we are hearing from the enemy and from ourselves that we're not good enough, that we can do better. But I'm here to tell you that you deserve encouragement today. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you've been, you deserve encouragement. Turn to the person next to you and say, you deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. And today, I want you to know that you deserve encouragement. Right? And one of the most spiritual things that we can do as a community, one of the most spiritual things we can do as a community isn't to show up to life groups. <gasps> Isn't reading your Bible? Uh, isn't praying more? Uh. One of the most spiritual things that you can do is let somebody know how awesome they are. Is let somebody know how awesome they are and how you, they've impacted you. That's one of the most spiritual things you can do. That's why it says, don't withhold encouragement. 
Don't rob somebody of God's blessing in their life. And some of you guys, even if you don't hear all the sex stuff, just leave here committed to saying one encouraging thing a day to somebody else. All right, that's not a part of the sermon. You get that for free, but I want you to know you're going to walk away encouraged. Now let's talk about sex. All right, cool. Hey, by the way, thank you, Joey Broquist, for putting this prop together. Oh, that's right. He deserves it. Tell him he deserves it. Come on, people. Let's go, God's people. That's right. Let's unleash, unleash sex. Sex door. Joey Broquist, the man forever known as the guy who made the sex door. All right, cool. Hey, you know what? I've had, uh, I've been called worse, Joey, so I appreciate that. Uh, okay, so I grew up with a lot of health issues. Uh, I have asthma, uh, and, and, and I don't know if this is a health issue, but when I was really young, I had really big ears, and then eventually my head grew into it, and uh, get, yeah, and so my head grew into my ears, and they became a little bit more proportionate to my body uh, size, and I didn't, I wasn't called Dumbo anymore. And so I had big ears, I had asthma, and I was the least athletic person you would ever meet, right? In fact, even to the point when, when I was picked on the other team, on the wrong, or when I was picked on a team, I was the last guy to get picked. You know how that happens when you play dodgeball. But the other team was excited when I was picked on the other person's team. Like, I was their secret weapon. Like, they knew they had this in the bag because Kelly was their... You know, was, was, I don't know what, it, what Kelly was, but Kelly was not good for that team, and the other team was happy about that. In fact, one time, I even told you guys a story about the time I didn't know it was halftime. I made a basket for the wrong team. That happened uh, more than once. Anyways, I was practically, I was pretty much like a geek, except I didn't get good grades, so it was like a double whammy. And, it's like, and so junior high and high school, I, I was the last person who was worried about losing their virginity. Like, I knew that if anyone was going to stay a virgin, it was me. And uh, so on the topic of sex, I never felt like I was the guy that needed this conversation because my ears were too big, I had asthma attacks, and I had the worst ADHD, and I, I wasn't athletic. So I wasn't the guy to get a girlfriend. In fact, I didn't even get a girlfriend until I was like 18 or 19. What? Yeah, come on. And, and, and the thing is, like... That didn't even last. It was like waste of time, uh, you know, unless I learned a lot of things. You know, I'm a better man for it, right? That's what I would like to believe. And, um, and, so, and so my first sexual experience wasn't like that awesome. Uh, I was uh, on my asthma inhaler. It was an, like, I, I, raise your hand if you had asthma, if you have asthma. So when, I, so when I was little, I must have been like in the fifth grade. I'm like sitting there and my grandfather is like, you know, um, you know, um, what is it called? The guest room? And I'm sitting there on my nebulizer, and a nebulizer is a machine that like pumps like the good oxygen in your face, and you, and, you know, my mom didn't trust me to hold the, uh, the other machine that allows me to hold it with my mouth and smoke it like a peace pipe, because I would always pretend like I'm smoking cigars. <laughs> so I had to wear the mask, like, so like I looked like I was like a patient in a hospital. And so this machine is rumbling, brrr, like that, and I am like breathing and breathing, and I'm bored because I have to be on this thing for like 30 minutes every day because I have chronic asthma. And so I'm looking around and I see a stack of magazines. And I'm looking through these magazines, and I'm looking through and I'm figuring out which one do I want to pick up and look at? Because I'm not much of a reader. I don't like reading. I still to this day don't like reading. 
Um, so I found the most colorful one I can find, right? I think you know where this is going. And so I see the yellow and black, and I'm sure you know where this is going, and I pick it up, and I pick up the National Geographic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So hot right now. And I'm sorry... And I'm looking through the Appalachian like mountains and the snow falling. And I'm and I flip over and I see like, you know, jeans and I'm learning about the brain. It's so awesome. And I keep flipping and then I'm flipping and I see a woman in a river. <laughs> and she's carrying something. And she's wearing nothing on her feet. <laughs> And she's wearing nothing everywhere else either. It's <laughs> so, like she wasn't wearing a t-shirt. She wasn't wearing like a skirt or a dress or anything. Like I straight up saw her chichis and I didn't know, I did not know what to do. And at the time, I didn't know it was wrong. I didn't know it was right. It was a National Geographic. Like there's no like warnings or anything. But for some reason, for some reason, I felt like, like I, I, don't, I don't want anybody walking in here looking at me, look at this. Like, for some reason, I felt like this is something, like, I need to change the page. Like, I felt like this is, this, this is not good. I shouldn't be looking at this. And especially after I saw her, you know, chi-chis. And so, so I closed the book up, and I put it away, and I acted like nothing happened. And, like, that was, like, the first time, like, I feel like I had, like, a sexual encounter. Like, because I saw someone's, you know, organs, sexual organs. And, um, but I felt ashamed, and I didn't know why. And I felt like I needed to keep it quiet, and I didn't want to tell anybody. And it, it's out of that secret, secrecy where, where the environment, out of that mentality of keeping a secret was the environment that I started to develop my thoughts and ideas about sex and sexuality. It was out of that environment where I started to develop my own personal ideas about sex and sexuality. And the truth is, you grew up in an environment maybe similar to that or, or maybe um, not so similar to that. But no matter what, we all came from an environment where we developed our own ideas about sex and sexuality. Because I'm sure the idea of me bringing up sex now at this time in your life is not the first time. So you guys came here with already preconceived notions about what you think about sex based on the environment that you grew up. And so in today's message, we are going to talk about the environments that influenced our opinions about sex and sexuality, and then we are going to dispel the lies that we believed as a result of those environments. Does that make sense? It's kind of like a two-part, you know, but you only have to show up for one, but you get two. So first thing is environment. Second thing is to dispel the lies about what we believe as a result of living in those environments. But before we do that, would you pray and allow God to speak into your environment today? Would you do that with me? God, thank you that, that you made us sexual beings. Thank you that you made sex and then you called it good. I ask that you'd speak against any condemnation in this place that any condemnation that people brought in with them, that they would leave out here free. That you would even start speaking to their hearts and to their minds, and that Jesus would set them free from the condemnation that they may be carrying with them as a result of their past. 
Lord, we thank you for what you have done and what you are about to do. In Jesus' name, we all said boldly, amen. Amen. Thank you. I need, I need something to drink here. Oh, huh? oh thank you, hon. It's my water. <laughs> she gets shy sometimes, so I try to keep it on the DL. That's between us. She doesn't need to know. The first environment is called the silent environment. Somebody say silent environment. Silent environment. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and put silent environment. And I even spelled it correctly for you because it took me like six times on Microsoft Word. I was like, oh, man, too many L's. <laughs> like, I always do that. Uh, there's, I know there's one now. Thank you, babe. Um, silent environment. In the silent environment, this is an environment where we grow up and nobody really talks about the idea of sex. It's kind of like this door. It's closed, right? The topic of sex is a closed door topic. And, 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 and the idea of opening the door is like so shameful. Don't even talk about it. Not even shameful, actually. It's just something that is dismissed, right? Your parents don't talk about it. Your pastors don't talk about it. Your teachers don't talk about it. The idea of sex is left up to you. And as a result, guess what you think? You think it's unimportant. Right? Because because the idea of talking about sex is un- unimportant to the most important people in our life, so it might as well be unimportant to me. Right? So when we live in an environment that is silent about talking about sex, then we default and think that sex is unimportant. That's the first environment. And it's an unfortunate environment. I hope that um, we can live past that because you miss out on, on, the, on the significance of what a beautiful construct sex actually is. So that's the first environment that some of us may have grown up in. The second environment is a saturated environment. A saturated environment. Yes, I got it right. Saturated environment. See, that's an environment where, where, where sex is delivered to us in such an oversaturated way where it actually undermines the sanctity and how special and how intimate sex actually is. It actually is presented as a mostly physical activity. It's just like, you know, having a workout buddy and you're just working out really, really hard. So that's what sex is presented as. It's a very crude way. It's very oversaturated. It's kind of like a song that loses, loses its meaning because you heard it all the time. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, uh, John Legend's song, you hear it over and over and over and over and over on the radio, it starts to lose its what? Meaning, right? It's kind of like uh, a Pharrell song, you hear it over and over and over and over again, and it no longer makes you happy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know you got it. So, some of us came from an environment that is extremely, extremely saturated, and as a result, you've come to believe that sex is a mere physical activity Anything more than that is just overthinking it. And then the third environment is a conflicted environment or a confused environment. A conflicted environment. Good. The conflicted environment is, is interesting because it's, it's, it's as if the door keeps opening and shutting and opening and shutting. Like any time you think about sex before marriage, 
it's shame, guilt. It's like, don't even, don't even, you know, make sure you get those side hugs in there. Keep that butt out. Like, there's no, like, frontal to frontal, like, you know, squashing of anything, right? This is, like, you're just confusing. It's conflicting. Like, there's a confusion a conflict in you where you don't understand about sex, but for some golden reason, when you're married, boom, the door's wide, wide open and you can have all the fun you want, but you show up not knowing anything. It's confusing. And as a result, we've come to believe in a conflicted environment. You come to believe that obedience without understanding is okay. Obedience without understanding is okay. And you start to accept sex or sexuality and you you're told by your pastor or whoever not to have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you're like fine whatever i'll do my best but whatever happens happens and you're conflicted and as a result of these environments as a result of these environments we've come to believe some things about god that just aren't true Right? Because we can't live beyond what we believe. How many of you know that we can't live beyond what we believe? All right. Well, I'm going to tell you, you can't live beyond what you believe. Right? If you believe you're a failure, you're going to fail. Right? If you believe you're, you're, you can't talk to women, you're not going to. Guys... <laughs> You can't live beyond what you believe. And so as a result of these environments, we've come to believe some things about God that just aren't true. The first lie that we believe is that God will ignore us. That God will ignore us like, I, I got an iPhone. Can I see someone's iPhone, please? I'm not going to like snoop. But that would be kind of funny. <laughs> Go ahead and check on the screen. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so when someone calls... That's a cute picture, Maddie. Um, when someone calls, right, and you don't want them to know that you don't want to talk to them, so instead of declining the call, what do you do? Let it go to voicemail. Yes, you ignore it, right? You ignore it. So you just hit a button, and it just rings, right? You, you ignore it, right? And that way, the person on the, other side of the uh, on the other side of the phone doesn't know that you're ignoring them. They just think you're too busy. But in reality, you're ignoring them. And so there you go. All right. and, and I've done it, and you've done it to people, and, 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 and we think somehow God is doing that to us. We think, well, I remember in my desperate desires to want, um, want a girlfriend when I was younger, I just felt God was ignoring me. Like I was the only one who didn't have a girlfriend or boyfriend. I remember being in middle school and being a sixth grader and being made fun of by eighth graders. And, and it was so bad that I couldn't even walk on the same piece of pavement as the other eighth graders at Sutter Middle School. Anybody know where Sutter is? All right. So, so there's like a pavement on the grass, I mean by the grass, and there's only so much space. And in between periods, the freshmen had to walk on the gravel or on the dirt because there's eighth graders who were walking on the concrete. And I was not big enough to look like I was even in sixth grade, let alone look like I was in seventh grade, other than my ears looked like they were in eighth grade. <laughs> but there was no way. Like, I knew that God, like, I wanted God to give me a girlfriend. Like, or I wanted God to satisfy my needs. Like, somehow, with another person. And no matter how hard I prayed, I just, that just wasn't in the cards for me. 
And, and, and so as a result, I came to believe that God is ignoring me and I needed to do something to earn his attention. Just like I needed to do something to earn my parents' attention. Micah 7, 7 says, Therefore, I will look unto the Lord and I will wait for God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. See, I don't know what you know about God. If it's your first time coming to church, cool. Um, we serve a God who's, on, who's literally on the phone with us 24-7. Non-stop, all the time. He's waiting to hear from you. And, and when it comes to the topic of sex, a lot of us felt like God should not be a part of that conversation. In fact, every time I've talked to God about it, he's ignored me, so therefore I'm going to ignore him when it comes to the topic of sex. I want to challenge you here today to start talking to God about what you think about sex, what you think you know, what you want to know, and let God speak to you. That's how we overcome the environments that we grew up in, the environments of silence. I'm curious. I want everybody to participate in this one, all right? By raising your hands, how many of you think you grew up in a silent environment? How many of you think you grew up in a saturated environment? Like if you watch TV and all that stuff, like you probably grew up in a saturated environment too. How many of you think you grew up in a conflicted environment? Yeah, that's what I thought. Let's start talking to Jesus about sex and let's start getting our opinion and our ideas about sex from the maker of sex. Is that cool? Cool. All right. <clears throat> the next lie. The second lie. Ooh. The second lie that we come to believe is that God is withholding from us. Where's my illustration? Where's my... Oh, here it is. God, that God is withholding from us. Um, let's see... Uh, Dang, this is harder with one hand. Hey, honey, can you help me with that? This is the, that's the illustration. It's the pie. I'm trying to get the pie out. Like I spent all like four hours figuring this out. Um, thank you, babe. Um, we, uh, I didn't make this pie, but let's say that this pie represents... <laughs> I know, like anybody would think I made this. Um, <laughs> let's say that this pie represents all of God's will for your life. And some of you are thinking, yes, it is. <laughs> that pie looks amazing. That is God's will for my life. In fact, bring it on over. <laughs> I received that. Come on. Um, let's say this pie represents all of God's will for your life, and you're like, man, it is good, and I receive it. This is awesome. Mm. Mm. And, and what if I told, and, and, and one, uh, what if I told you, sure, sure, yeah, you get God's will for your life. Here you go. Here you go. All right, that's all you get right now, all right? Right? You would be so disappointed, right? Yeah, you'd be disappointed. You'd be like, dang. Um, some of us believe that, that God has a will for our lives. Yes, we do believe that. And, and, um, but some of you believe that you only got a piece of the pie. You only got a piece of God's will because whatever he's given you just ain't cutting it. Because all you got is this. It's not very appealing. Yeah, I just need you to hold it. Just hold that. It'll be powerful later. Uh, so, all, so here's the thing. So when we believe, okay, God, 
this is all you've given me. I, like, you haven't given me enough to fulfill your will. Maybe, maybe you've messed up sexually, and you're like, God, like, how am I, like, you have not provided. You have not given me enough. You're holding out on me, and so I need to go out and provide for myself, because this is all you've given me. This is it. You see this measly piece of pumpkin pie, God? This is all you've given me. Right here. So if you believe that this is all that God has given you, guess what you're going to do? You're going to try to provide for yourself. And you're going to try to go outside of God's will. Sorry, bro. <laughs> bro, Joey James. Um, I know you. You're my friend. <laughs> so you're going to go outside of God's will to try to get your needs met. Does that make sense? When we believe that God is holding out on us, we go out of our way to try to get our needs met. And, and maybe, maybe like, I don't know, like, you think it's not fair that maybe you grew up in a certain area. I know that it's not fair that I grew up in a sex-saturated environment where I come to found, find out some horrific things about my family and about my past. I struggle even to tell you some of this stuff because I know it's so far from what you might think my life is. <clears throat> and that's, I didn't script this, so I, might, I feel like God wants me to share it with you. Um, so my dad was literally a pimp. Like, he literally trafficked prostitutes. And when he married my mom, at, well, married is, I use that term loosely in this particular illustration, when my parents got together at 17, my mom was 17, my dad was 20, whatever. Um, he, my mom worked for him. And um, and it wasn't until my dad passed away in June that I found out about that, about that, about my mom. And I lived my whole life in a very sex-saturated environment where I saw people come in and out of the one-bedroom apartment that I lived in with my mom. Most of, my t most of the time, my dad was in jail. And I know that I told you guys this before. But when I came to know Jesus, I felt like it wasn't fair. Like I had, to, I had the right to do whatever I wanted sexually because I came from such a horrific background. But, but at some point, I came to realize that whatever God has given me is more than enough. And my pain was not wasted. And that he's going to use that pain, and he has a purpose for it, to empower somebody else. And when I came to realize that my pain was not wasted, I came to accept God's good and pleasing, perfect will for my life. I read verses like this throw up Psalms 2, or Psalms 84. Psalms 84 says, the Lord is a sun and a shield. Oh, how I needed to be protected. Let me tell you that. I needed to be protected. The Lord bestows favor and honor and withholds no good thing from those whose walk is blameless. See, I stopped believing that God is withholding any good thing. And the reason why I believe my walk is blameless is because Jesus' walk is blameless. And he, he gives, I get the, I get the, oh, man, I love talking about 
the benefits that come with Jesus. And some of us don't realize that the benefits of being in Christ means that we get his reputation. Blameless is your reputation because blameless was his reputation. 2 Peter 2, or 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Goodness is his reputation. And guess what that means for you? It means you're good. God's not holding out. God's not holding out. His will is completely for you. He's given you everything you need, no matter what you are struggling with. So the first lie, the first lie that we believe is that God is ignoring us. The second lie that we believe is that God is withholding from us. And the third lie, and the final, well, final lie, the third lie is God will reject us. God will reject us. Man, can I get some more water? God will reject us. Man, I love talking about acceptance. Somehow we believe that when we mess up, God is surprised. Like, he's surprised when you make a mistake. That's like a mom being like, uh, my baby just boo-booed in his pants. Forget it. I'm out. Right? That's like, like, boo-boo means poop for the rest of you guys. All right. So, so like, 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 that would be so weird, right? We believe in unconditional love for humans. And, and when we talk about unconditional love for God, we like, oh, I'm so surprised by it. it think, about, think about birth for a second. Don't think about it too long. It's kind of gross. But when, when a mom is in labor for how many hours and there's lots of pain and lots, I mean, you're carrying around like a watermelon all the time, like, like for like nine months, right? This baby has nothing to offer you like that's going to benefit your life, at least for the next 18 years, right? Um, right? Nothing physical, but maybe emotional and all those other things. But, but you clearly are in a position where you have more to offer this child than that baby is in a position to offer you, right? Because your job, right, is to impute as much love as much practical like teaching and money and money and money and finances and money into this baby for the next 18 years. Some of you need to move out of your parents' house because it's been way too long. But because then you need to cut that umbilical cord. Um, right? But, but when that baby comes out, no matter how painful, no matter how nasty looking that thing is and, and how much noise it keeps making, um, the, the doctor will put that baby on the mother's uh, chest and that mother will love it. All the pain, all the sacrifice, all the sorrow, no matter how much money it takes, no matter what it takes, that mother will do anything and even to the point of dying for that baby. No matter what that baby has to offer the mother. Does that make sense? But that parental instinct, guess where that came from? That came from God. That parental instinct came from God and it's the same love that God gives to you when you make a mistake when you mess up when you know that you like God says even your best attempts are like filthy rags so if he's unimpressed with your best day he's unimpressed with your worst day there's nothing you can do that he can love you more there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less is that good preaching or what 
Because it's not me. That's what the Bible says. So let's take a look at it. For I am uh, Romans 8:38. I'm skipping a verse. <clears throat> Romans 8:38 says, "For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor neither thi- oh, phew, that's a tough one. Rewind, hit play. Here we go. <clears throat> For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. What does yeah. that deserve? Come on, unleash passionate people. Man, Paul is convinced. I want to make sure that you leave here convinced that God is absolutely in love with you no matter how far you've gone and how close you think you are. I don't think you still are convinced. That's okay. Romans 8.1 says this. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, condemnation is something that I think you guys brought with you. It's not something that Jesus gave you. No, it's not. No, it's not. Condemnation is something that we carry with us. I understand Easter. You guys understand Easter? You like like Easter. I love Easter. I I love Easter bunnies. I love the eggs. I like baskets. I love everything about Easter, especially Jesus. And... uh, And the thing about Easter that gets me every single time, I had to hop like a bunny because he was wrapped like a mummy. All right. So, um, you see what I did there? All right. So, the thing about Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we often say, whoa, Jesus resurrected from, from the dead. That must mean he's God. Hosanna in the highest. Right? Like, have you, like, that's what we do. We, we think Easter is about Jesus resurrecting from the dead to prove the fact that he's God. Right? That is not necessarily the case. That's usually what I used to say. Yeah, why did Jesus need to die from, rise from the dead? To prove to humanity that he was God. And um, that's not exactly what I've learned to believe. Because I learned to believe the reason why Jesus was resurrected from the dead is to prove that God was done punishing sin. God was done punishing your sin, and it happened 2,000 years ago. And so if, he's, if he finished punishing sin 2,000 years ago, does that mean he's punishing sin now? The answer is no. He's not. He's not. So the condemnation or the guilt or the shame that, that you carry with you from your past is not something that came from God. Now I believe that you know that God does not condemn you. Because the guilt, the shame that, that you feel, he already washed that away. The rejection that you think that God is giving you, he already gave to Jesus. So don't take away from that sacrifice by trying to put it on yourself. Don't take away from what Jesus did by trying to walk around feeling guilty and shameful for your sin. Because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I want to preach on that a little bit more. In Christ Jesus. All right. See, I think we find security in our families. As long as our families are okay, I'm okay. 
as long as mom and dad don't divorce, I'm okay. As, mo- as long as I um, get straight A's, I'm good. As long as I get affirmation from my colleagues and peers, I'm great. That's living life in your family's eyes. That's living life in your friends. That's living life in your education. And ultimately, that's living life in yourself. And of course, when you disappoint yourself, you will walk around what? Disappointed. Condemned. See, Jesus wants to free us from that. But the only way that you get that kind of freedom is living life where? Where? People, come on now. In Christ. In Christ. So I know most of you guys may believe that already. You showed up to church. This is not your first time. But if there's somebody here that's heard that for the first time, or maybe it's stuck for the first time, I hope that you are hearing the message that God has for you today. And he wants you to be free in Christ. So the three lies that we believe is that God will ignore us, God will withhold from us, and that God would reject us. Man, I hope, I hope you don't walk away feeling rejected today when it comes to sex and sexuality. I hope that, that, we, would walk, that we would walk away today inviting God to be a part of that conversation. That we would go away with a journal, ask God to teach you about sex in a new, fresh way. Over the next five weeks, we are going to explore this topic in a major way. Because we believe, and God believes, well, I know from first-hand experience because I'm married, <laughs> that sex is a three-dimensional activity. 3D. It's a 3D activity. I, I, uh, I went to my friend's house, and I put some Oculus Rift glasses, goggles on. And in, these, in case you don't know what that is, it's, it's a game, that, but I'm kind of weird about like, people's personal items. So I'm like a germaphobe. And so I'm very uncomfortable with putting somebody else's, like, face mask on my face, like the oils from their acne, like, just right there on my, uh, on the, my, oh, my nastiness. That's just gross. So after I cleaned it off, I put this thing on. <laughs> and and, and uh, I started playing this game. And, and the first dimension is that I get to see the game in action, right? I get to see it. I get to see it. But not only do I get to see it in one, like, just standing here seeing it, but whenever I move, like, like it puts me in a different location in the game. Like, and I can just move over here. And I'm actually feeling what it's like to be in, like, in this actual you know, virtual reality game. And I forget that I'm wearing these goggles. And I'm like walking around in this game. And I'm like Zelda. I'm like zapping fools. Like, uh. uh but it didn't work with the legs thing. I'm like, why, isn't it, why can't I see my legs? I forgot to put those on. <laughs> and so... So that's the second dimension. I'm feeling it. But the third dimension is uh, I have these headphones on, so I get to hear it. And so I hear the, tr- the sound of traffic. I hear the sound of people walking in the background, but not in the background of reality, but in the background of the game. So it's a full immersive experience. It's three-dimensional. Well, sex is three-dimensional as well. It's physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. And some of us in our, in our, in our environments and, and in our past, we've experienced maybe a physical aspect of sex, but missing the emotional and spiritual. Maybe we've experienced an emotional aspect of sex, but we're missing out the physical and spiritual. Maybe we need to learn what God thinks about our sex and sexuality and experience 
all of God's will, which means all of the goodness of a physical, emotional, and spiritual sexual relationship. We're going to invite the band up. Over the next five weeks, we're going to explore these categories. And what I want you to do is write down your questions. Write down the questions that you have about sex or sexuality. Like, be honest. Write, write the questions down. I'm not going to collect them or anything. Just learn to be honest with yourself. And be brutally honest with yourself in front of God. Where this once was a topic that brought you shame, bring it into the light. No one's going to quiz you or going to ask you if you, um, you know, did this exercise. And so what, we wanted, want, what I want you to do is start asking God about sex and start telling him everything, what you think, what you're ashamed of, what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and, and then wait. Wait to see what God says back. That's the tricky part. Just wait and write down what you think God is saying to you. And it's okay if you don't hear anything right away or if nothing comes to mind, just keep going. Just try it again the next day. And do it for five days. And then, and then maybe, maybe the conversation about sex will actually start to transform things in your life and around you. And hopefully, we can walk in freedom. Freedom from condemnation. See, condemnation, I want to talk a little bit more about that condemnation part. Condemnation starts with you feeling bad about yourself. And then it moves to accusation. And that means you pointing the finger at somebody else. Why did you do this to me? If, I, if, if, if you gave me enough, then I wouldn't be in this situation. Condemnation leads to accusation all day. And accusation leads to separation all the time. If you're walking in condemnation, it's not going to be long until you start to distance yourself from your accuser. Today, put down condemnation. Pick up the Bible. Pick up your journal. Start asking God about sex. What happened to you? Start being vulnerable in your life groups and asking for prayer. Invite people in the condom, in, in, into this conversation. Especially, find somebody, somebody who you can talk to in life groups who will listen to you and not condemn you. It all starts with you being open. And lastly, I want us to become free. Free from condemnation, and we would learn to trust God with our sexual desires. Would you stand and pray with me?